turn, if you will, to John 15, and we will uh, see what the abiding life looks like. Uh, we begin the first eight verses. You're in Christ, in the vine. And now it's further described uh, how that life works its way out, how it looks. And I would kind of say it this way, that this union with Christ is to be reflected in continued communion with Christ and, and how this uh, abiding life is continue, continue living out. Just like we'd say, walk in the Spirit. Does every believer have the Spirit? Yeah. Now he's saying, live your life ordered by the Spirit. Uh, but what if I don't? Do I lose the Spirit? No. But he doesn't do in you what he likes to do. You quench him. Uh, he can't bear his fruit. Uh, you may lose peace. But, you know, you're going you're gonna to miss what he would be doing if you were cooperating. And so this abiding life is uh, what this, our Christian life ought to be looking like. And there's five things we're going to look at, what that life ought to look like. It's interesting, if you read Psalms 1 and Jeremiah 17, he describes the righteous and the unrighteous by use of a tree or a plant. He says in Psalms 1, if you're a person who meditates on God's law and you focus and you choose not to run with uh, those who are enemies of God in the path of the wicked, he said, you're going to be like a tree planted by rivers of water. Uh, your leaf will not wither, and your fruit will bear fruit in the due season. And you're just planted. You're not moved. Uh, and it's this picture of an undiminished supply where the wicked are like chaff that the wind blows. You go to Jeremiah. He said, cursed is the man who makes his trust in man for he will be like a shrub that grows up in salty soil. Bad picture. It, it, we'd almost think of it as a uh, tumbling weed or uh, how could it even make it? But since you're going to be a shrub, you're going to be growing up in bad soil, not good. But he said, the man who trusts in God shall be like a blossoming tree, He'll bear his fruit in its season. He said he's not even afraid of a drought because he has his roots in a water supply that is undiminished. So he uses these pictures. Christ said in Matthew 7, the tree is known by the fruit it bears. And so we come over to the abiding life. What is it to look like? What describes it? Five things we want to look at. Look at John. We'll read from verse 9. Uh, to verse 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Um, Let's see what he says. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I find that incomprehensible. <clears throat> How has the Father loved the Son? Um, let me uh, give you at least four ways, and I, I get it from Spurgeon. Four ways the Father's loved the Son. First of all, he loved him without beginning. There's never been a time the Father didn't love the Son. Never. Without beginning. Um, and Jesus and God told Israel, and he tells us, I've loved you with an everlasting love. An everlasting love. You can uh, trace your beginning to love Christ, you can trace it at a certain point. Uh, even human love. Uh, don't couples, they're supposed to celebrate anniversaries, but a lot of times, uh, uh, every December, Carolyn says, you remember what happened this month? Well, that's when I asked her to go with me. Yeah, she loves Christmas season because she got me for a gift. I mean, I got her for a gift, you know. Uh, December 62. She always brings that up, 50 years ago. And we know the place. We know where we're driving. All of this, you know, all that. We know when we, our hearts gave us consent, hey, this is more than just a girl and a guy, uh, more than just a date. No, I, I, I believe this to be a permanent relationship. Let's go towards that end. So you, you have a sense of when that began. But the love of the Father for the Son never had a beginning. Now let's transfer that. When did Christ begin to love you? When? He loved you before the foundation of the world for sure. He said in Revelation he'd already consented to die the death of a criminal on a cross from before the foundation of the world. He'd already consented to do it. 13.8 of Revelation. He's slain as a lamb from the foundation of the world so that when he created, he already knew, I'm going to have to die for what I've created. He never did do that with angels because there's no atonement for angels. But I know if I create man... I know I'm going to let him sin. I know I'm going to let him rebel. So, Father, between you and I and the Spirit, I'm already a dead man in my mind. 
It's going to cost me that to love these people. And he said, I've loved you without beginning. Is that incomprehensible? Wow. Before I was ever conceived, before, uh, I mean, two, I got to keep going because it's, I'm in awe. I cannot, I can't deliver it. Uh, without any change, the Father's love for the Son has never fluctuated. It's never been hot, cold. Uh, maybe I do, I love you a little bit more. I love you a little bit less. No, he has always loved him with a steadfast love that you can never imagine the Father not loving the Son, could you? Now, remember, Christ says, I'm going to love you like my Father has loved me. He didn't say, I'm going to love you like you love me. Like a yo-yo. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. You don't even know someday. So I'm going to love you like I've been loved. And my Father is the model, not you. Now watch this, watch this. I'm going to ask my followers, hear me, to love like I've loved them, and I've loved you like the fathers loved me. So Father loves the Son, the Son loves us, then he tells us to love others. And all the time you get down and say, well, they're not lovable. No, and neither were you. Uh, well, 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 how did I get in on this? Uh, Christ passed on the love of the Father to him, and he decided to pass it. But this is the imperfect part. That's right. But he said, I'm going to love you with a, a divine love that's indescribable, that has no beginning, uh, that never changes. Um, third, he loves us without end. There's no end to his love. Uh, principalities and powers may come. Life and death may come. The silver cord may be snapped and you die. Will death separate you from this love? Can demonic powers separate you? No. Can any created thing... It's a love that once it's begun and we don't know when it began, it will never end. This is what he's saying to these men. I'm going to love my people like the Father has loved me. There's something about the love of God you must know that uh, we use it all the time like this. God loves everybody. He doesn't love everybody the same. He does not love everybody the same. Take Romans 8.28. For all things are working together for the good of everybody. Who does it work together for good to? To those who love him. See, there is this intimate love. You know, I am to love all people. Let's say I'm to love all women as human beings and people that Christ died for. But. I hope it's particular with my wife. There's the broad, the general, and then there's the particular love of God. 
And God loves his people in this intimate way that he's saying. Not everybody, his people he's talking to. Don't forget that. Because he's going to go on and say, I love you like you've been chosen. I, I hate, I, I don't know, I might as well make you mad, let you do whatever. He didn't say everybody was chosen. Rejoice that you are, if you are. If you're not, you can get mad about it, or you can believe in Christ. Then you'll know it for sure. How do I know if I'm chosen? Have you believed in Christ? No, you're not chosen. Well, I want him. Oh, hey, you might be chosen. But our first characteristic here is he wants us to abide in his love, the love the Father loved him with. And I must say this. Um, you hear of the anchor bolt, the cornerstone. Until you thoroughly are anchored in this first concept of the abiding, that vertically, vertically, I am being loved by a love that comes right out of eternity. And the fourth thing I didn't tell you about is this love is without measure. And Paul said we can't comprehend the height, the depth, the width, the breadth. It's, it's, uh, it's incomprehensible. You can't measure it. It's eternal. It never ends. It has no beginning. And now he says, I'm loving you like this. What do I want you to do? Remain in this kind of love. Remain in this vertical. Wait, what do you mean remain in it? Jude says something very interesting. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, well I just thought it's just a gusher and, and I'm always in it. Well, the sun always shines, but you can pull out an umbrella. You can go in the house, and the sun's shining plenty. Don't get yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves under this fountain of the love of God. And what is it? It's my vertical perception. I am a beloved person by the Father and the Son. That is my worth. I don't need a self-esteem book, and I don't need a hundred people to say I'm worth a lot. I quit being a slave to human opinion. Some of you are saying, well, I was abused in my home. I was this. There's so much tragedy going on in the American home. Drugs, alcohol, sexual abuse, on and on. And it's tragic. It, it's a heartbreaking story. And how could any of us uh, not be moved by it? But I must say, for us who are believers in Christ, the new beginning place of love and identity must be this vertical love, that as the fathers love the Son, the Son loves me that way. I am love. I am love. I can risk loving you, for the one who knows me best loves me most. You see, you can't give away a love you don't have. And until you're liberated in your own heart and know I am loved, 
by God. Faults and all. He, he won't, matter of fact, he won't love me more or less than my... Well, what about if you sin? Well, you see, he already got took that in consideration before you showed up. He's already gone to the cross. He knew it was going to cost him something to love you. He knew that. You wouldn't be easy to love. But he chose to do it. And until you get that identity, I mean, I, I see Christians, uh, a lot of them are moping, uh, the bitter people, uh, somebody done me wrong kind of people. They're always carrying some kind of beef. Some, well, the church didn't do this or someone didn't do me right. Uh, on and on. And, and they pretty soon, they've lost the sense. That they don't come across as being loved people. They, they act like uh, I'm running after a thousand other strokes because I've never abided in this vertical truth. The God of heaven and earth, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ loved him, and he's told me, now that I am in the vine, I am under the fountainhead of his love. Bask in it, bask in it, stay in it. Don't let anybody move me from this that I am loved by the most important person in all of time and eternity, God himself. You know, why do we elevate other people's opinions so much? Rich Rollins used to tell the story that he taught a Sunday school class and he uh, took a poll, how was the class after, you know, a semester or whatever, and uh, got all, all, all these reports back, and uh, then he was down in the dumps, and he uh, went to the office and had Ann Jeffers, his secretary, looking at it, and, oh, man, I'm going to resign the class. He was down. I think it was like two or three people uh, had a complaint. Overall, everybody liked it. But he elevated the three nays and, and was blind to all the yays. You know, I, I'm a, I like to be liked. I really do. I think I, at, at heart, I'm a party animal. <laughs> but I just happen to be in the ministry. And so I can't boogie too much. Uh, but if nobody likes me, but my wife loves me, that will change my world. If she didn't like me, I'm in trouble. It's as you go to the inner circle, who do you, uh, whose opinion do you esteem of you the most? How about putting God in the circle? And he says, "I love you." So I know you don't. You can't. You can't put him. Get out of here. You don't love me. Or you get Christians like this. Show me you love me. Show me. Show me. So you mean the cross wasn't enough? My son's not enough? My goodness, you need... No, no, I need some current proof. No, 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 no. You're not responding to what's already been given. So, first thing of the abiding life that becomes the abounding life. See, there's a lot of saints, they're not, uh, they're not blossoming, they're withering. 
withering heights. Uh, that when you see them, you just see uh, a razor. They have dried out, dried up, about to blow away. Because there's no joy, there's no sense of being loved. It's like many Jews have said, why did God have to choose us? Couldn't he choose somebody else? Is this the way you treat the chosen? Are you loved? And until you get that in you, you would do a thousand other things to get the strokes you want, to whatever. Uh, and uh, it, it's an endless search. But it's so wonderful when you come and people say, I've finally been loved. I have a friend that does a lot of lectures and he'll often ask the audience, can you name the place where you first felt loved by God? The first time in your life that you were overwhelmed with the sense, I am actually loved by this God. Can you name the place? When you quit being afraid of him, and you all of a sudden found out he loves me. He really does. He goes on to say um, that living in obedience to Christ is the next mark of our being identified with him. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Look at 1415. He said this before. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. That's another verse of particular love of God. I, I don't love the wicked like I love those who keep my commandments. The levels of love here, not the same. That's a big glob of love. Uh, which comes first, obedience or love? There just seems to be this circle in John, love, obedience, obedience, love, love, obedience. Let me ask you this question. Do you love a God you will not obey? Do you love a God? You will not. I love Jesus. Oh, do you? Uh, here it says uh, you won't forgive. Is that true? No, I won't. You don't know how to give me. It says here, forgive. I don't care. I said I'm not. Well, you're not obeying. I don't care. I'd rather be bitter than to obey. Okay. Uh over here it says you shouldn't be unequally yoked. How long have you been going with this unsaved guy? I don't care. None of your business. Well, I was just saying the word. This is what the Father says. I don't care what the Father says. Well, you don't love him. Oh, I do love Jesus with all my heart. No, you don't. You call me the right names. You know all the religion, religious talk and all the Christianese we talk to each other. But no, 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 those who really are in this vine, who really love him, they do a simple thing. They just do what he says. Simple obedience. You remember what he said to uh, Abraham? He tested Abraham, and he said, take your son Isaac and go up to Mount Moriah. I want to see if you love me. 
I want to see if you've fallen in love with what I've given you or if you love me. I gave you Isaac in your old age. Will you go up there at Mount Moriah, take the wood, and I want you to offer up your only son. Now, Romans says when he's up going up the hill with Isaac, Isaac's believed to be about 12 or 13. He could have outran his father. But when he's going up that hill, Abraham was saying, if I have to kill the boy, I know this God I serve is able to resurrect him. That's amazing. So he'd already in his mind figured, I, I'm going to have to kill him. Because, you see, God always wants to test us. Are you in love with his blessing? Or are you in love with him? A lot of folks, we give heaven away. We just start selling plots. You're like a timeshare. Can we say you're a timeshare for heaven for eternity? Why, sure. Hell yes. <laughs> Hell yes. Yeah, I don't want Jesus. I still get the party, but you mean I get a little real estate forever? Sure. Oh, but, oh, some, oh by the way, in, in heaven, Jesus is what's adored. Jesus, what's he got to do with heaven? Oh, oh, oh this is his house. Uh, everybody goes there, follows him, loves him, adores him. I ain't buying up. I ain't signing up for that. But I'll take any place that's air conditioned. No, no, no. You don't get the place without the person. But I, I want to drive a brand new car. I want that prosperity teach. Well, what if you drive a clunker? But you get Jesus in the deal. A lot of folks driving clunkers that ain't getting Jesus. Being poor didn't make you godly. Huh? But Will Rogers says God must love the poor because he made so many of them. See, here he's saying, if, if, you, if you love this God, obey me. I, I hear him saying to Saul, he tells Samuel, go down and check up on Saul. I told him how to win this battle. And what to do? He goes down. Matter of fact, I told him to wait seven days, and then I'll show up. He got a little nervous, and all the men wanted parts of the spoil. And he comes down there, and he is just bleeding of sheep, and the goods are being separated. And all of a sudden, Samuel said, uh, "So, uh, what are you doing?" Well, we got nervous. You didn't show up, and we moved ahead, and we took a little bit, but. We have set aside all this as an offering to God. Hear me, Saul. Today you lost the kingship. Today God has removed you in his plan from being king because he would rather have obedience than sacrifice. He's not interested in you giving a big offering, but you won't obey him. Will you obey God? Why don't we obey him? It's because we don't love him. And when we love him, we obey him. And 1 John says, when you love God, his commandments are not grievous. They are not burdensome. It's not a burden to obey someone you love. You know, I have to talk to some of you old enough to have grown up on old-fashioned Christianity. Man, when I got saved 
and the people we were going to heaven with, they were strict. There was a rule about everything. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I know McNeil knows. I mean, we couldn't go bowling, and the, the history's a thesis. Why can't we go bowling? It's worldly. Man, if you see my game, it's not worldly. It's dangerous, but it's not worldly. Uh, so it's worldly, yet you're down in the world does that. You know, they smoke over here in the uh, bar section. People smoke down there. When you get that smoke on you, you're a little worldly. Okay. And you're young. You just do it. Can't go to shows. There's John Wayne, man. That guy would teach you to cuss. You see how he's affected me. John Wayne, black and white. Watch those cartoons. You know, that Disney, he's not serving God. Okay, can't do that. Whoa, let's go to dance. You can't dance. That's sensual. Can't do mixed baby. Well, I never did like to take a bath with anyone else anyway. But you can't be out there in a swimming suit with a woman out there. Woo! You know what? I had to do that for my back when I was in Livermore. And I was with a group. You could not mix men and women in the same swimming pool. But I was having so many back problems. You've got to swim. You've got to swim. You know what was such a blessing? Being nearsighted. <laughs> it's hard to lust for what you can't see. I was taking instructions at a health class, like in swimming. I'm looking here, the instructor's over here. You know, I'm no threat in the pool. Poor thing, I can't see her. But you know what's amazing? Both my wife and I talked how happy we were in Jesus. Because we just do whatever it took. And I see people over here, they can't even move out with their girlfriend. They're living in open sin. They're going, no, no, I, I, no, I'm a Christian, but you ain't telling me what to do. No, because you don't know him. Everything's a strain for you. Everything's a strain. Nobody tells you what to do, especially God. Because you're a rebel, and you've never been conquered by the love of God. But when the love of God, of verse 9, overwhelms your soul, wouldn't you finally say, Lord, whatever you want, you got it. I'm conquered by your love. You see, when I'm training little children, uh, let's say touching the fireplace or something. Now, okay, I don't know how you did it. i got to tell you how I did it. Don't touch that. Uh, I touch it. Well, we don't touch that. And they just stay with them. They do it again. Boom. Don't do that. I'm not worried about if they love me at that point. I'm not calling a child therapist. Could you work us through this family crisis? I'm inflicting pain and child protective services have been called. My, my three-year-old called them on their iPhone. They got a 911 number. No, 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 no. Now, as they grow up, I'm hoping that when I say something, they will have this memory bank what dad has forbidden, what dad has commanded for years in my life, I've come to trust, 
It's for my good. Uh, it's for my betterment. I just want to do it out of all obedience I've been rewarded for. All obedience winds up in the third thing. It winds up bringing joy. Look at the third thing describes this. That when you're abiding in this Christ, you will have this. Verse 11. These things are spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now that is a powerful phrase. My joy, Christ, I want to take my joy, share it with you, and it will fill you. You'll have more joy than you keep up with. <laughs> I mean, this is amazing. I'm going to take, this is God, the God-man, through all that he went through. He was a man of joy, a man of peace, no matter the hate, the circumstances, whatever. I have joy. He said in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before me, I'm going to endure the cross. I can get through this. Because joy is ahead of me. I'm going to be rewarded. I'm going to save millions. I'll endure because there's joy rewarding. And so he says, I'll share my joy with you as you focus on my love and as you do what I tell you. You'll have joy. Augustine says a famous line, often quoted, Thou hast made us for thyself, and we remain restless until we rest in thee. Could Jesus give you enough joy that you'd be satisfied? Have you ever seen that joy that just floods your heart when you've been maybe dabbling in a sin and you've been disobedient and You've been having the struggle going on. And finally, you yield, you obey, you do what God's been telling you. You ask for forgiveness. You return what you took, whatever. You did the right. You did the right. And that peace and that joy that floods the heart that nothing else can do. That's what he's saying. Uh, obey me, and I'll flood you with my joy. I'll share it with you. You'll be flooded. Well... The fourth thing he tells them, I want you to uh, uh, now take this love and I want you to love others as I've loved you. Uh, no one can find a greater love than one would lay down their life for their friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because I'm letting you in on family secrets. So he's saying... Listen now, I want you to pass on simply what I've poured into you. I've loved you, loved you, loved you. So, because a lot of times I am, I feel convicted, Lord, I can't love people like you. Just tell me to try to get along with them. That's the best. Don't tell me to love them. Getting along with them is hard enough. Love them? And he say, wait, wait, you forget I'm the supply, and, and, and I, I'm going to fill you, and you can't hold all my love, can you? You can't contain it all. Well, why don't you just love other people in this overflow? Would you let me love through you to them? I don't want you to cough it up. You can't. 
You can't conjure it up. You can't act like you love people when you don't. Do you love me? Do you know you're loved by me? Are you connected that way? Then, then the life of the vine will be manifested in the love of the vine. He'll love others through us, and he says it repeatedly, by this men will know your mind, that you're loving just like I love. And when he went to John 13, he said, I'm going to show you the full extent of my love. I've taken the role of a servant. I'm going to stoop. I'm going to serve, and I'm going to go to the cross. Now, he says, nobody's ever loved any greater than I'm going to love, and I'm going to channel that kind of love for you, which seems to say it can make you willing to sacrifice for people. That if it includes sacrifice, you would think it was worthwhile to love someone. Because that's what Christ did. And so, just this great, great love. And then our fifth point that he says that this love is done. It has chosen us. And in this chosen position, we're not treated like servants. Uh, we're really treated like his friends. By the way, uh, biblically, is Jesus your friend? How many say yes? How many would say no? There's no place that we ever get to call him friend that we know of. He calls us friend. You know, it'd be one thing for you to call, Obama's my friend. Does he think so? It'd be a little different if he said, you're my friend. Uh, it, it's, um, it's God, Christ bringing them into the intimacy, and he shares what that intimacy is. I'm going to share with you family inside info. I'm letting you in on the know. I'm bringing you into intimate knowledge of me, and I'm going to let you know that. I'm bringing you into this. Matter of fact, uh, I was worse than a friend. I was an enemy when he went to the cross. And I'm more than a friend now. I happen to be a family member. I'm a son. But right here, this is revelatory to them. He'd only called Abraham his friend. Now I'm calling you friends. And then he says that great line, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I've appointed you to do two things. Have fruit that will remain and prayer that will be answered. The privileges of this chosen position is you'll have fruit that will remain. What is that? And you'll have answered prayer guaranteed. Chosen you. Um, wow. What a, what a journey. Did God actually choose you? Well, let's go back to his love. Beloved, Christ is loving you like he was loved way back did he choose you. Well, he said he did before the foundation of the world. I, I don't know about you. I have never been chosen by any great person 
for any great privilege. A king, a president, an official, a coach. I don't know, you may have been. You may have been nominated for some great team, some great uh, cause, and they tapped you. Uh, no one's ever asked me to join the presidential cabinet. I've never been asked to even be on city council, thank God. Matter of fact, you didn't even ask me to pastor this church. I just started. There was nobody here to vote. It's only wagon win. Empty buildings don't give you a lot of problems. What about saying God chose me? You ever take that in? Has God chosen you to be a partner with him in what he wants to do? He absolutely has. And in that partnership, he says, I want to bear fruit through you that will remain. And fruit in John is a little, little there's different levels. One thing, the life of Christ is going to be manifested in the branches. And that, I think, is character, the life and character of Christ. But in John 4, he says there's fruit to be reaped in Samaria, harvest time. John 12, he said, if you want your life to count for something eternal, you must die like a seed in the ground, and then you will bear much fruit. And it sounds there like people influence, converts, people impact. If you'll die to your own ambitions, die to yourself like a kernel of wheat, I'll see that it bears fruit. What is that fruit? I am inclined to make it results in the lives of those you've loved, in the lives of those you've shared the joy of God, in the lives of those you've obeyed God to go to. I take it that way, more than just character. Chosen to bear his life, chosen to bear fruit that will remain, and look at what you can invest your life in and have nothing that will remain when we put you in the ground. But maybe a living trust, nice. Do living trusts, are they eternal? Property, nice. In this world, but just think of how many of these men, none of them died with any assets, Charlie. They followed Christ. They were never full of this world's goodness. You and I have a thousand times more than all the disciples. And he says, you go bear my fruit. And by the way, if you need any resources, ask me. As you pursue me, live me out, and you bear this fruit, anything you need, call heaven. When I got married, my wife reminds me every once in a while, we both had saved $500 to get married on. Do you think that's enough money? And we got in her Corvair, and we're headed for uh, Van Buren, Arkansas. On the way, I developed electrical problems, Arizona. A generator went out, then a battery went out. So by the time I got there, I'd spent the 500 I thought we were, you know, cash uh, rich for the rest of our lives. We're headed for Miami. Uh, and, uh, but you know what? I had forgotten it, but my wife did, because he gave it to his daughter. He gave her 
their credit card if you run into trouble. And if I'd known that from the beginning, we would have had trouble immediately. And uh, boy, when we were coming back, tires were going out, this generator problem. I mean, I'm in uh, garages at the middle of the night. I I'm staying with a preacher in Tulsa. Get caught. I mean, it's chaotic. And we're only 20-year-old married couple. Start out with five. By the time I get there, we're broke. And we still got a lot to play. We had this card. Whatever you need, you can use it. And believe me, we did. Jesus said, men, now that you're plugged into me, whatever you need, I've given you a card. It says, ask the Father in my name. Ask the Father in my name. I've got all the resources you need to carry out your mission in reaching people and in bringing me to a lost world. Ask me for anything. Of course, it's qualified, we think, by his will and his character. Ask me, and I will supply all you need. I want to ask you uh, a few questions here as we close. Uh, are you in the living in the love of God? Jude says, keep in it. Have you lost it? In the last days, men's hearts will become cold and they'll become wicked, he said in Matthew 24. He said, in the last days, people will struggle to keep a burning heart for God. Are you keeping yourself in the love of God? Or have you gotten over it? Or you need it stirred again? Um, are you obeying Christ's word? Is there any area in your life right now that you're not obeying? Oh, that just robs you of joy. It robs you of peace. Uh, it's just no fun not to be obeying. Because uh, what he says to you uh, is for your good. And you won't do good and not obey. You must obey. And don't worry about the act of obedience until you answer this question. Do I love him who has loved me? Do I love him who would die for me? Do I love him who brought me into this reconciled relationship? Or do I refuse to love him back by just simple obedience? And then, have you taken time to worship God that you're on the chosen team and you're in the chosen family? I don't care what your family of origin called you, did with you, treated you. You're in a divine family. You're in the vine. Jesus has become your brother. God has become your father. That is your new identity. Thank you are loved. You are loved. You are loved forever. Our Father, we bless your name that we should be chosen by you and your beloved Son to be a part of your family. We stagger that we've been loved and are being loved without end. We are loved by you no less than you loves us. Despite our sins, our failings, our quirks, our, all of our 
weaknesses as human beings, whether that's physical, personal, whatever, to tell a man he's loved by God no less than he loved his son. Oh, Father, let us not be robbed of this treasure <coughs> that we are in the love of God. Let us not move out of it by disobedience or by disignorance. Let us cherish it. We bless your name. We love you. We want to worship you forever. Just for what you've done for us in John 15. Put us in the vine. We love you. Amen.